Hi, I'm Paul Swinfellow and welcome to Tech Interviews. On this week's show, we get real as we find out all about how real people buy IT. So settle back and enjoy the show. Hi and welcome to another episode of Tech Interviews. So on this week's show, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, normally on the show, we will speak to uh, vendors or people who deploy technology uh, who talk about some technology ideas and kind of why they do what they do and the problems that solves and why end users and, and people who buy technology for their organizations, why they should go about and buy this technology. So what I thought would be quite interesting was to talk to a couple of people who actually do that for a living and have to make decisions before they spend their organization's money on a vendor's technology, a vendor's technology dream almost. So um, so to help me to do that, I'm, uh, I'm here at NetApp Insight in Las Vegas and joined by uh, two guests, uh, Chris Olson and Matthew Underhill. Um, but before we jump into the topic, uh, I'll, I'll take a moment to get these guys to introduce themselves and tell us who they are and what they do. Hi, my name is Christopher Olson. I work at Los Alamos National Laboratory as a solution architect. We're sort of a scientific uh, defense laboratory in northern New Mexico, and I am do all things private cloud and, and storage and all that fun stuff. Yep. Hi, I'm Matthew Underhill. I am head of infrastructure for a company in Liverpool, very close to Stringy here. Uh, we're called Alfred H. Knight. We provide um, scientific support to the mining industry, and I look after everything to do with IT. So if... Uh, if you can log in, then I presented it to you. <laughs> so, okay, so, so thanks, guys. And um, maybe it's a starting point and kind of take your pick, and we'll, we'll just kind of have this as a little roundtable chat. Um, but, I mean, what, what are some of the, let's, let's start with what are some of the technology challenges that you're seeing today in your business? Now, what, what are some of the th- kind of things that are, are keeping you awake at night? Well, hopefully not keeping you awake at night, but you get the idea. <laughs> Well, we've got, um, it, since we are sort of a private cloud provider to the, the customers, all, all of my customers are within my organization. And uh, as a result of that, we've got folks coming to us. Sometimes, you know, they'll be on board, they'll explain exactly what they're trying to do, and we can really come alongside them and, and work up a solution for them. Sometimes we just get these great big requests for machines, and we have to like struggle to figure out what they're looking for. And it's only after the fact that we find out they're standing up a Kubernetes cluster, or they're doing, you know, some other you know massive thing that's going to scale out to hundreds of terabytes. And uh, so one of the things that we're sort of struggling with is since almost everything we do today is on site, uh, we have to look at solutions that can support that delivery model. Uh, we're, we're, we're in the market in public cloud, we're looking at uh, solutions there, but right now uh, we've, we've got to make sure that what we stand up will serve our customer base in, a, in an on-site solution you know, within our data center. And, uh, and that there's, we're, we're finding the limits of scale that you can get there, especially in things like Kubernetes. So yeah, that's, uh, that's a sticky, sticky wicket for us right now. So the, 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 the fact that you look for everything to be internal into a data center, is that driven by the kind of organization you are? You, you have a requirement that says public cloud right now is not, not an easy thing for you to do? Exactly, yeah. So uh, just due to the, the kind of data that we have and the, you know, that our customers work with, uh, getting approval to move that data, uh, you know, into a public cloud provider is is tough. Uh, we are pursuing that, and uh, a lot of the, some of the NetApp solutions seem pretty compelling in that space, uh, especially g- given the the ability to, uh, for example, like NetApp Private Storage. I think is uh, could be a real win for us, and that's basically where you own your equipment in a colo data center right next to AWS and, and direct connect, you know, fast connections in there. But it's it's your equipment, 
it's just not within your data center. So um, yeah, so the stuff like that we're looking at, and then just just overall, you know, what are our options for delivering that cloud-like experience uh, within to our customers, but in a, in a way that doesn't transcend our data center uh, boundaries. Yeah, and I, and I think that's that idea of how, I think cloud-like experience is quite an interesting topic. You know, I, I think lots of us, when we talk about cloud, we think of cloud as a location, as a solution, uh, whereas it's probably much more about a way of working as, a, as opposed to, you know, a way of consumption, a way of delivery. Um, so, that, so that's interesting stuff. And, and for Matthew, is, is there, are those challenges similar for you? Have you got different challenges? Uh, they are similar, yes. I mean, my primary challenge as a business is, you know, reliability and availability. Um, you know, making sure that our systems are up and running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Um, but then, you know, we also want to start leveraging the public cloud, creating this hybrid cloud. Um, we, you know, we're going through a, a transformation at the minute, uh, working from, you know, very siloed and very uh, sort of SMB kind of infrastructure, trying to get into, you know, a more... Uh, versatile, public, uh, you know, sort of private, public cloud, hybrid cloud approach, um, and you know we're hitting, you know, pain points where we thought, well, you've got your data sitting somewhere, you know, on a, on a, at some disks, but how do you leverage that? Not just you know for production, you want to leverage it for testing, you want to do it for you know um, AI if you're getting going to that point, uh, or you know simply just. Uh, you know, ensuring that everything is as it should be. You know, uh, for example, we you know you want to use it. You want to use your databases. You want to double check that when you make some changes or update. You know, some tables or something. Uh, it doesn't break everything. Um, you know, so how do you move that around? So it's data portability, I guess, is, is our biggest problem over and above everything else. Yeah, so, 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 again, so you know, they're, they're interesting, similar problems. You know, how, do, how do you integrate public cloud into kind of what you do? And, and the answer perhaps isn't everything needs to go into public cloud, this kind of idea of, of tactical usage of cloud as and where it's appropriate. So, so one thing that always interests me that when uh, for folk in kind of the position you find yourselves in is what's the process that you go around to define what is um, maybe a business problem or a technology problem? Kind of how, how do you go about that? Who, who wants to take that one? Um, well, I first of all, I find I you know I find out what the problem is, what the business problem is, is, is how I look at it uh, initially, because it's all very well trying to solve an IT problem with IT solutions, but you know if that doesn't solve the business problem, then you know we can spend as much money as we like, but they're still going to be unhappy. Uh, you know, so I, I'll first of all try and find out exactly what they want before we even think about any type of IT solution. Uh, when we know what they want, then we can find, you know, maybe the best solution. Maybe there's one out of the box, uh, but you know that might be prohibitive uh, in, in terms of cost, or you know, just not right for us. Uh, so we might have to put a couple of solutions together. Um, so yeah, we define the business problem, and then we find IT solutions to fit uh, what will help us. Basically. And do you have any kind of check sums and balances in place so that when you define a business problem is, uh, within your organization, is the, the kind of business leaders you can go to and say, look, this is what we think the issue is, this is what we think you're trying to do? Uh, is there a process like that, or is this very much a kind of an IT-driven initiative? Well, we usually have the business leaders come into us, so people who, are, who have a specific issue or you know uh, are looking to expand. So, for example, we're, we're looking to do a very interesting project coming up uh, around IoT, but it's not really starting out as an IoT um, you know, problem. What they said is we want to measure uh, temperatures in ovens in Mexico. How do we do it? 
<laughs> so it seems like the kind of query you get all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah, and it's you know, how, how do we have that locally available, and then we stream it off for, for you know for processing and stream it back to us and put it somewhere else. And so you know, we're, this is not just a one sort of size solution. We've got to fit little pieces in everywhere. Um, so yeah, so it comes to us, but we try to get it from the business directly. And what about for you, Christopher? Is, it, is that a similar kind of problem, a similar kind of process? Um, definitely similar. Uh, I mean, the part, one of the challenges that we have is my organization literally has the highest per capita PhD uh, you know, degrees of, of anywhere in the world. And the end result of that is someone who is doing you know, nanotechnology, you know, bioscience, whatever, that person also considers themselves to be an expert in IT. Yeah. <laughs> and so a lot of times when uh, we're approached to you know, solve a problem for a customer, they've usually they, they've figured it out to the seventh decimal point. So what we have to overcome is they have historically perceived IT as being you know, basically a hurdle you had to get over to get the solution that you wanted. What we've had to do is sort of turn that on its ear and be, you know, come alongside the customer and, and then, and then like, uh, like you were saying, try to understand what the problem is, try to define that problem, put it in, in, in terms that the customer can agree with, and then you can actually start approaching it from, you know, from the technology solution. Um, so, yeah, that's been, uh, that's been a real challenge for us. So um, yesterday, the, the keynote session at, at uh, Insight here that we're at, um, the guys from Syracuse University who presented, one mm -hmm. of the things they talked about was one of their biggest challenges was overcoming the perception they were the IT department who always said no. So mm -hmm. Is that kind of similar for you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it's 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 been one of the just the ongoing challenges that we've had where it's it's I wouldn't describe it as a full-on hostile relationship when we start <laughs> first engaging with a customer. But it, it can be challenging, and, and, and they're, you know, if you push back on anything that they consider to be you know, one of the, the major tenets of, of their problem, then they're like, okay, well, fine, then we'll just do it ourselves. So we're, we're having to try to work past that and really say, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a yes, but, and, and, and granted that in this day and age, that's a not, a, not a good negotiating term. So we, we've learned to say, Yes, and at the same time, and, and really try to, to carry the conversation forward to where we can get to the root of the problem that they're trying to solve. I, I like the idea that you're not the IT department that says no, you're the IT department that says fight. <laughs> um, so that, that seems like a good, good place to start. Yeah. So, um, so, so it's interesting, you both talked about how you start to identify solutions, put a solution together. So mm -hmm. kind of, what, what's the process that, um, that you know, maybe somebody who's, who's listening to this and thinking, yeah, how do I go about identifying solutions? What's kind of the process that, that you go through to identify what would be the right fit for, for a challenge you've been presented with? Okay. Um, a lot of times it's just it's how you start that conversation with a customer. And, and, and again, you know, not focusing on the technology, but basically have them in even sort of non-technological terms describe what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and, and, and if they've got all of the techno buzzwords in there, just, just take a step back and basically just say, okay, look, you know, what, what's the challenge that you're trying to overcome? What's, what process is broke? And then you can then sort of work your way into it. Maybe you start talking about the technology that they're, you're, that they're currently using. What are the limitations with that? And then you can basically carry that conversation forward. And in the end, you really have captured what the customer is trying to accomplish and not so much, you know, the, the, the tech briefing that they saw at, at, at some other tech conference or, or the magazine article that they read about how, you know, containers is going to, you know, revolutionize the world. 
Kubernetes. Yeah. Drink. Yeah. Um, so, um, so actually, Matthew, because one of the things we um, we were in a session yesterday, um, and one of the things that came up was two sessions today. One of the things that came up was that when somebody comes to the business and says, "I want to do something," that the first thing to ask is why. So, is is that something you employ in, inside validation night? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, we want to understand fully what they're trying to do. Um, you know, what their outcome is, and sometimes I even try to help them out to look further you know for example if they're trying to collect data on something well i say well can we look at that data you know five years down the line or can we start to you know pull that data into a warehouse and run reports on it could that you know help us with some targets or some you know uh, projections or something like that um but yeah so you know we we try to understand it and uh go from there really i mean i'm, I'm just really happy that i'm not in chris's position where uh They've already thought about the solution. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have to design it uh, myself um, and then present that back to them, having understood what they were looking for in layman's terms, which is not always that easy. Um, you know, I try to do my research. Uh, I have a, a great group of A team around me who can tell me what to do. But I, I also think, um, you know, having trusted partners who are not necessarily vendors, but uh, people who can sort of, you know lead you along the way in terms of technology that's that you know that's i think that's a real key um, rather than trying to sell you a product yeah i think there's a lot to be said for that you know in, in all kinds of ways that the idea of having a partnership and working with you know external organizations maybe have different expertise and finding people you can trust people talk about trusted advisor all the time mm-hmm. i think there's there's lots of value in that i mean is that something you could do christopher as well because obviously you're some of the requirements and some of the work that you do probably makes finding external help more difficult or is um, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, we have as, uh, I mean, since we have become the IT organization that maybe doesn't say no quite so much, um, organizations have learned to come with us and be more open and, in, in basically starting that conversation out with a, in a, in a manner that is more suited to actually solving their problems. So, in from that standpoint, I feel like we have increased our trust relationship with our customer base, and you know maybe uh, someone will come on uh, and they'll have some smaller project that they'll work with us on, and then it goes well. And so then that next conversation is they come to us and they're basically saying, "Hey, here's what I'm trying to do. How can you help me?" And so yeah, it's it's definitely establishing that trust relationship with the customer. So. So, um, so I have interest, obviously, we're, we're having this conversation at NetApp Insight, so it's a te- technology conference for maybe those listening who, who don't know what it is, but, you know, technology conferences all year round, big ones, small ones. I mean, is this something that you guys use as part of a, a process? And, and if actually people are listening to this and saying, well, I, I don't really do technology conferences, is it something that is valuable and they should be considering? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, you should go to conferences, um, especially if you are looking at specific things so you go to specific conferences but you should also go to conferences that have you know a wide range of, of companies out there uh, what I really love about it is going around the stands and seeing you know what people are offering and you know as an example I went to a session uh, this 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 um, this insight and you know they were just talking about very simple things like searching your NAS and, and that kind of thing and I'd never thought about that particularly as a solution um, but now that I've got that in my mind, I'm wondering, you know, what can I do with it and, and sort of things like that. It, it's I find going to things that you're not quite sure about. That's, you know, where you learn on that front. So, yeah, I definitely recommend it. Mm-hmm. 
same for you, Christopher? Or? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the I mean, I think one of the main values, especially uh, you know, we're we're limited or we're sort of isolated geographically where I work, and uh, that that sort of working in a vacuum mentality definitely sets in. So, what an opportunity like Insight lets me do is is come out see what other organizations, what other companies are doing, uh, talk with customers, talk with partners who are attending, and, and bounce ideas off of them, and maybe get a, a completely different perspective on, on how to overcome some challenge that you know, I never would have even thought of uh, if I had just sort of you know, Googled for answers or, or you know, talked with vendors and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that, that peer-to-peer relationship. And, I mean, there's, there are folks who I... You know, when I first came to Insight five, six years ago, uh, there, there are folks who I met that Insight who I will still hook up with today if they're still coming and or stay in touch with because, uh, I mean, those relationships are just really valuable. And uh, there's a lot of smart people out there that you can always learn something from. Yeah, well, you've, you've got an organization with the smartest people in the world who know it, uh, which is uh, which is worrying. And as Matthew said before, it's, it's hard enough dealing with users who think they're the smartest people, uh, but ones who know they are, that, that's that's some problem. Um, so, well, so one thing, and actually something you just said there, that, you know, that, that idea of finding out about things that maybe you don't know about. And So, so we're here at a, an event here. So has there been anything here in particular that's jumped out of you that's going to have some real value for you when you go, go back to the office or something you'd not even really thought about that you've seen and thought, yeah, I, I could do something with that? Um, so the interestingly enough, um, the, I, I think my main takeaways from uh, Insight this year are not so much technology things but more governance things. Uh, one of the one of the things that um, and actually in a, in a session that, that you uh, presented on is is coming up with a data management poly, you know a framework a, a way of, of like how do you approach data and doing that in a way that's sustainable and isn't gonna you know wrap you up and, and trip you you know a few years out and that's something that we have really struggled with because we have we have trying to identify and, and I think there was even someone who asked trying to identify who the data owner and get someone to confess up and, and say okay yeah and here's the you know here's the policies around this data trying to get that defined is, is really tough and it makes our job very challenging so it's it's actually something that I'm thinking about changing my approach in addition to when customers come to us or we're working with customers trying to get to, to get to the root of the problem before we get into the technology the follow-on for me is now going to be, okay, now let's talk about this data that we're generating. How long does it need to be retained? Does it need to be backed up off-site? You know, what, what's, your, how, what's, what's your maximum allowable data loss? Because um, when you put things, when you talk RTO and RPO to customers, their eyes sort of glaze over. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and, but you say, okay, well, you know, how much of this data can you lose? And their, their answer is always none, you know, none. And it's like, how long can it be down for? And it's like, it, it can't be down at yeah, all. And it's like, so, so then, you, then you start adding zeros onto the, onto the bill and then, you actually end up negotiating somewhere in between there, but but having you know having that data management policy is part of every conversation with every project. I think is really important. So that that's been one of my big takeaways from the conference this year. So I feel my work here is done. That, that you're <laughs> starting to look at the kind of data from the top down. So I, I yeah. like that. Um, and Matthew, I mean, you touched on something earlier on about kind of search capabilities in, inside of NAS that maybe things you've not thought about. I mean, so been anything in particular that's jumped out at you and, and something that you take away from this that's made the trip to Las Vegas worthwhile. Um, apart from that, I need more sleep. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, I, I think much the same as Chris. Um, you know, we're looking to move our workloads around. 
you know, but fundamentally it's data. So we need, you know, a data fabric. Ooh, maybe. Uh, you know, we need a we need, we need a data management strategy. We need to know where we're going to put it. Can we put it there? You know, should we put it there? Uh, you know, uh, how long do we need to keep it for? Um, and you know, I think a lot. Of, there's there's some pretty cool things around. Um, Clients that are coming out, so you know, there's a couple of partners. I think you, you know, you've talked to one pro lion and, and those kind of things. Um, I found that very interesting, um, but also like the um, NetApp's own as a cloud control or something like that. That's very cool. Um, and yeah, and you know, so that's my biggest fear is that, well, I put it put data into the cloud, into the public cloud. Well, you know, how do I keep that secure? You know, how do we make sure that it's not getting out because you know. It's sort of further away. I can't kind of touch mm -hmm. it, and so that's that's what I've come away with. You know, yeah, build your controls into the data, and yeah. not into the infrastructure. It's almost again. like there was a session about yes, that. Yes, <laughs> indeed. I, I think again, my work here is done. Well, look, guys, uh, look, really appreciate your time, and uh, you know, thanks for sharing some of those thoughts and ideas with us. Um, look, people want to follow up with you guys, find you online. Uh, is is there a way they can do that? Uh, Twitter's pretty easy for me. It's at uh, Colson N M C O L S E N N M. Matthew? Yep, so I'm on LinkedIn, Matthew Underhill, uh, Twitter under Kenya, and I have a blog website coming out uh, pretty soon, I hope, and that's MatthewUnderhill.io. Okay, breaking news, I like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, by the time this show goes out, <laughs> hopefully that'll end. be live. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, need, uh, I need some music in the background. But hey, guys, well, uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Enjoy the rest of your event while you're here, and you. uh, speak yeah. to you again both soon. Yeah, thanks so much, soon. it's been Cheers. great fun. So after speaking with uh, Christopher and Matthew, I also caught up with uh, Donny Lang to just kind of get a, another idea of somebody who has to implement technology as part of his day-to-day -day job rather than somebody who sells or uh, advises on technology uh, around some of the same questions I asked the guys earlier. So um, hey, Donny, welcome to the, uh, the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Paul. Glad to be here. So, um, well, look, before we, uh, before we start on the, the topic, why don't you introduce yourself, tell people who you are, what you do. Hey, I'm Donnie Lang. I'm a senior systems administrator at a company in Wisconsin called Plexus Corporation. We're a global contract uh, electronics manufacturer. So um, that's great. So I, I was speaking to the guys earlier on about uh, some of the things that they have to deal with as part of delivering IT within, within inside an organization. So, so one of the questions I asked them was about the idea of what are some of the, um, what are some of the key challenges that they see in their business and, and how do they go about starting to try and find solutions and, and develop uh, ways of solving those issues? Sure. So I, I think for us, the, the largest challenges that we see are having to manage a wide global storage footprint of uh, just over 40 controllers, I believe. So trying to keep everything in line and, and do all of the monitoring as well as keep up with day-to-day -day administration tasks and also innovate and bring new things to the business on top of that becomes a very challenging task for a small team that's been expected to do things that, that are not uh, centered only on storage or expected to deliver those same things across compute virtualization and storage networking uh, verticals as well. So, so how, how do you go about identifying where some of these issues are? You know, so are, are they issues driven purely by IT, or you know, do, do you have any kind of interaction with the organisation more widely to try and understand uh, kind of what their business demands are, and, and then go away and try and architect a, a solution around that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, <clears throat> a little bit of uh, column A, a little bit of column B. I mean, sometimes we're able to to identify problems within our own infrastructure and sometimes we have members of other business units come to us with their issues and then we can take the requirements from them and build a solution that works for them for their particular business challenge. 
So, so how does um, so, so what kind of format does that, that come into? You know, is that just because as a as an IT department you're seen as relatively open, or is there a kind of a formal procedure for the way you capture those requirements? It's uh, it's a mixture. Uh, Kind of dependent on the business unit, actually. Um, I do get some some walk-ups where um, I'll have uh, someone from our engineering department, for example, come and talk to me about a particular problem, and we'll hash something out over a whiteboard session. Uh, but we also have an ITSM and uh, service management platform that we use, ServiceNow, and so larger requests are formalized into um, either incidents that they represent something broken in the infrastructure that needs to be fixed. Uh, or requests or change requests, depending on the level of change that needs to be done to the infrastructure in order to satisfy the demands. So, do you have any kind of other um, any other kind of discovery processes? Then, I guess that you know is is the ways that you look around the organisation and spot different challenges. So, you know, you know, so I suppose the idea that somebody comes along with I, I want to do X. You know, is the ways that you go about and discover or, or understand different parts of the business. Well, I mean, we we do use like traditional monitoring platforms um, to to detect like you know operational issues um, like you know a storage volume behaving like it shouldn't, for example, like high latency things like that, and then to detect other sorts of actual issues. You know, we'll do um, infrastructure testing uh, with a integration testing framework called Pester to ensure that all of our configurations stay in line and things like that. Um, is that what you're talking about? Uh, do you know what? That's a really interesting point because you were talking, uh, we spoke earlier on about something, uh, a session that you ran here where actually that kind of how you did testing. So, <coughs> so people listening to the show actually aren't familiar with Pester and kind of, and even the reason why you do that. You know, what, what, what's, what, what's some of the thinking behind what you do and, and how does that kind of technology work? Sure, yeah. So I guess first to, to understand why you might want to use a tool like Pester, um, you know, you need to buy into the idea that it is important to test your infrastructure and be able to validate that it exists in the way that you want it to exist, that a setting once set stays set at that particular value and doesn't drift by way of you know unauthorized change or accidental change or things like that. And then you know once you've bought into the idea that that's valuable, then you can bring in a tool like Pester, which is a integration testing framework written for PowerShell. So you take data that you read in from your environment using PowerShell get commands and compare the values of those commands against what the ideal value is for your infrastructure configuration. And Pester will let you know whether or not those two values match and the test passes or the two values differ and the test fails. Yeah, so I, I think that's a really interesting technology approach, actually, that idea of uh, kind of desired state type stuff. So, you know, and, and I always think, actually, from my point of view, that I, I look at that as a huge value in terms of security, um, because once you've built those kind of secure baseline infrastructures, the ability to spot that change and remediate that change really quickly, I think, has a, has a lot of benefit. I mean, was that one of the drivers for that for you as well? Absolutely. It's very, very powerful to be able to do that. Um, a big a big one was uh, detecting uh, configuration drift, like I had said. So, you know, we have a lot of storage administrators that work in our global storage deployment. So, you know, it's not always easy to, to track all of those changes. And if one is made that has a detrimental impact to the infrastructure, you know, it's, it's important that we be able to detect that very quickly and then remediate it. Uh, the remediation today is manual. Uh, but we are looking at uh, ways to automate that remediation as well so that we can truly bring it into uh, more of a desired state uh, configuration type uh, setup so that, you know, rather than have to manually remediate or, you know, do some other operation, 
uh, or a human doing the operation, we can just allow like scripting logic to handle that and bring it back into the ideal configuration automatically. Yeah, it's, I think that's really interesting stuff. And so, so one of the things I was asking the other guys earlier on as well was about how, so somebody in your position where you're architecting solutions, you're trying to discover solutions, you're trying to discover ways to kind of enable the business differently and, and, and fix business problems in reality. So, so do, do you guys have a process for how you go about doing that? You know, how, how do you engage with kind of the wider uh, technology community to try and discover solutions and, and find what may or may not work for you? Um, yeah, I guess th there's kind of two sides to that. One would be internally within the company. Um, we uh, kind of use it as an educational opportunity for a lot of the other business units. They may not be aware of what the capabilities are for storage or the other things that we manage as part of the Converged Infrastructure team. And so we've taken it upon ourselves to, to present some of the capabilities of the storage and the other components of the Converged Infrastructure stack to other business units so that we can kind of get some mind share from them when they have an issue they know a who we are b what we can do for them so that they know and are equipped to say rather than try to build something themselves you know they can come to us and we can get involved from the beginning so that we can help them build what they need to build rather than have them do a bunch of work that's uh, that's really interesting actually that's, that's not something that I've, I've heard often that the idea that you kind of do that internal uh, kind of sail into to your own business to say, look, this is the kind of stuff that IT can do, this is the kind of stuff that it can deliver. Um, and I think that's a, it's an interesting approach. One of the things that I heard this week that, that struck me was in the, the main keynote session was uh, the, the guys from Syracuse University talking about no longer being the IT department that says no, mm -hmm. um, becomes the IT department that says yes. But actually, I, I that's an interesting approach. You're almost the IT department that says, come on, give us a try. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, we, we become our, our own, like, internal evangelist, essentially. Um, we're a big, big component of, like, even though we're a global company with, like, over $3 billion in revenue, we still are very committed to using the technology that we buy as completely as possible. So if there's, you know, features that we aren't using that we could be leveraging, then we've left money on the table. And being an internal evangelist for those pieces of the infrastructure stack is a way to fully utilize our investments so that, you know, if we're going to spend, you know, in some cases millions of dollars on infrastructure components, we use them as completely as possible so that they are good investments. So you said there's a couple of things that you do. Obviously, this kind of internal cell is one area. What, what else is it? Um, so in terms of actually learning about these things, like if you're going to be an internal evangelist, you know, you, you'd better know what you're evangelizing about quite well. Um, so I'm obviously part of the NetApp A team. I'm a relatively new member, so that's been an incredibly rewarding experience so far. Um, I get to be surrounded by people that make me feel very, very humbled by the amount of knowledge I have compared to what they have. Um, I'm also involved in the VMware user group meeting in my local area um, as a VMUG leader, and so that is a way to collect use cases and other uh, technical knowledge about things that I might be able to then take and give to other people within the organization when they come to me with an issue. If I can collect data about what other people are doing to solve those problems, then I can take that data back into our organization and help those people in those other business units solve those problems as well. So we're, well, we're here at a technology conference, NetApp Insight, um, here in Las Vegas. Um, I mean, is this, again, is this kind of these kind of technology conferences, is this part of that process as well? It's a, it's a way to come and de, you know, discover new things. And if it is, is there anything that you've discovered this year at Insight that 
with something new to you and something that, that, that you might be able to deploy internally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is one of the ways that I, I see it as training, and I'm lucky that uh, the leadership at Plexus agrees with that that viewpoint as well. They are very invested in uh, professional development for their employees, and so I am lucky to have the, the freedom to come and do these things because I find them very valuable as well. Um, in terms of something that uh, that has blown my mind at the, the conference is the real focus on uh, kind of the DevOps culture and automation um, becoming front and center for a lot of organizations because it just allows them to, to multiply the work that they're able to do and automate away some of those menial tasks. So the continued focus on, on DevOps, Kubernetes, uh, and automation in general is a way to reduce the, the repetitive, tedious, menial tasks and free up uh, administrators, engineers, and architects to do the things that actually matter, like innovating for their business is incredibly powerful. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think that's interesting as well in that you are seeing this kind of almost turnaround in how NetApp as a company, uh, you know, probably like lots of organizations, is trying to change the way that it looks at what it does and, and how it delivers solutions to its customers. So I think, you know, that kind of fits in, I, I suppose, with what you do day to day in that you're looking for those kind of bits of innovation to mm -hmm. say, yeah, let's look at how we can do things differently. And, that, and, you know, genuinely, I love that idea of presenting internally to your company to say, you know, come and give us a go. There's all these kind of things that, that we can do. So, um, but, hey, Donnie, that, that, that's been really interesting and, and thanks for sharing some thoughts on that. Um, if people want to kind of find out more about you and, and kind of some of the stuff you do what's a what's a good way to contact you sure so i am on twitter at donnie lang the number one um and i also blog at langhq.com donnie that's great thanks for being on the show and i uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon awesome thanks for having me again i hope you enjoyed that for show notes pop over to techstringy.com we'll also find all of our previous tech interviews episodes if you've got an idea for the show or would like to appear as a guest then why not drop us an email at podcast at techstringy.com Next time, we talk all about IoT, so if you want to make sure you catch that show, then why not subscribe? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as all other good homes of podcasts. So until next time... Thanks for listening. 